you know, since the beginning, this idea of almost like creating a brand that's owned by the people who love that brand. And now we can actually start to find ways to give actual ownership of those things um, in a meaningful way instead of just like the more old school version of people buying a hoodie and wearing it on their chest or whatever. And we're live. Welcome back to the Tech and Techers podcast. Uh, today's guest is easily one of the coolest people I've had the pleasure of working with. He basically lives in the metaverse. He's a massive surfer dude. And in my eyes, he's pretty much the Bobby Hundreds of the sporting crypto world. He goes by the name Jacko Fool, Overtime Jacko, and another one I made up, Jacko Flock of Flame. It's Jack Osler from Overtime. Jack, how are you doing? Wow, that was a. I need you to walk with me everywhere I go and intro every room I go into. That was the best intro I've ever gotten. Thank you. <laughs> I've been thinking about that one for a while, actually. I knew it would be good. Um, yeah, no, I'm probably. Like, I'm gonna change my Twitter right now. <laughs> Just to that, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I I do want to delve into everything to do with the metaverse and NFTs, but I do want to talk about your story a little bit um and just your time kind of leading up to overtime and what you were kind of doing uh before overtime popped up and i know i read up that you were working at facebook for a bit and you even had your own uh, skincare brand that you were running out of your kitchen so if you could just touch on the jacko before overtime i'd love to hear some more yeah i'm not sure how deep you want to go so i'll try to do the abridged version if you want to go into anything but yeah, I was at Facebook for five years doing um, like really crazy site safety stuff. So all the darkest parts of Facebook, figuring out how to get those off the platform, which at the time was actually pretty interesting. It was like right a little bit after the IPO, like most of the things Facebook was working on had like tons of momentum. And it was almost like these tricky ops problems that were like, in my opinion, some of the most interesting stuff. It was pretty cool. I was there for five years, learned a ton, met like some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Um, and when I left Facebook, my plan was basically to work on my own thing and start my own company. But I actually took a quick break and basically just sat at home and made coffee and ate bacon and eggs like every day and like would take a nap. It was like so insanely relaxing. And then I'd go surfing and just like that was it. So I did that for three months. Um, and I eventually ended up working on some projects. I knew I really wanted to do something with like a social good kind of impact to it. I'd been doing a lot of volunteering in prisons and with a bunch of different nonprofits. So I ended up uh, working in a like a tech for social good incubator where they gave me some money to basically test as many like prototypes or ideas as I could. Ended up kind of throughout that year working on two big projects, uh, both of which essentially failed. Um, the coolest of which was a language learning app for immigrants. So I won't go too deep into it, but it was, it was kind of an interesting app. But uh, both ideas I kind of worked on throughout that year had some momentum, not quite enough to like really get off the ground. And I was in that like sticky early phase of, of being on small teams of 
just me and a couple other folks trying to raise money, trying to get our first, you know, client to, to like raise money straight from the clients or whatever it was. And in that time, I met Dan Porter, who's the founder of Overtime and now my boss, who like, if you've ever had the pleasure to meet Dan, he's like one of the, not only the smartest, but also the craziest people of all time. And we met for like 30 minutes and like, I think like 15 minutes in, I was just like, hey, I'll like, screw it all. I can come tomorrow and start working for you if you want. Like, and he basically pitched me kind of on uh, the vision of where Overtime was going next. And I was super, super pumped. I actually had known Overtime and personally beyond some of the social good stuff I was working on. I think I just love building things that have a meaningful like tie to culture that like are fun. Um, they have to do with how humans relate on like a macro level, like culture and overtime was so important to not just sporting culture, but like culture as a whole, like young people and how the future of sports looked and just something that was like really defining, uh, you know, Gen Z culture was like so cool to me. And I, I kind of like just love young people and how they think. So I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, and that's, that's where I've been for the last almost four years. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love that. And I mean, it's interesting you talk about the culture and, and kind of building products that have that culture. I think that's definitely one thing that kind of stood out when I first started speaking with you is you're trying to push that culture. Um, I, I do want to talk about what you kind of do with overtime. I, I know you guys do a lot of stuff um, and have your arms in a bunch of different projects, but if you could just give like your overall role, what you do with overtime and what your day to day looks like. Yeah. So my technical title is the head of product of overtime. And what that means is basically any sort of product or at least like digital product that overtime works on, I'm responsible for uh, defining what success looks like and managing the teams and people to make sure that actually happens. We have really small and scrappy teams. So it actually mostly means just like building a lot of cool shit with a, a couple other really interesting people. Um, so it's like super fun. It's like the most fun role I could ever imagine. Um, I can get a little bit more into like the different verticals over time has that I, I touch. Um, so the, the kind of like current stage of overtime. And if you don't know overtime and you're listening to this, like you can think of it almost as like Gen Z's ESPN. We're a very big sports media company. We have over 65 million followers across a number of different social accounts. So, you know, a bunch of, you know, multiple accounts on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and different types of content, depending on the platform. So on YouTube, we have long form shows with seasons, you know, Instagram and TikTok skew more highlight and short form, stuff like that. So, so we have this huge audience of like, you know, 65 million people, maybe more who've who've seen the overtime. O, like you might've even seen overtime and not known it was overtime. Um, and there's other people who like wear, wear our clothes on their chest because they identify so much with us. So when you have that big audience, like our question is like, all right, what can we do with that audience? We don't only want to be a media company. We want to build products that bring value or, or make, make our audience happy. So a lot of my role is thinking about what can we build for this big audience. Um, there's a bunch of different verticals. The first kind of thing we started with was basically apparel. I don't actually lead our apparel team, even though I, I wish I did, because I wish I was as fashionable enough to run an <laughs> apparel brand. But 
you know, we essentially like put our brand, our IP on clothes. And I think we like to take it farther than just merch and actually make something that uh, tells a story and like only kind of furthers our IP. Uh, we have like collections that repeat every spring. You know, we have collections that repeat every winter. So you start to like craft IP and that has like a whole e-commerce shopping experience. So that's kind of one pillar. The second pillar is um, we have we have digital products. We have an app. So we have an overtime app, which is basically like a fantasy league where you can like play daily fantasy, win, win tokens. Uh, those tokens let you unlock different, you know, experiences, physical kind of like upgrades to your profile in the app, sort of like t- tasting web three stuff, but still very web two in a way as well. Um, different ways to like eventually like make money there. So a lot of like cool stuff. And then we also have the overtime elite league, which we could do a whole podcast on that and That's maybe sense. like we should, but yeah, it's basically like an NBA development league, you know, 50 to a hundred of the best young right now, basketball athletes come and play for overtime. We have multiple teams, you know, they compete in a championship. It's almost like in soccer, how you have some of the junior teams like man city has, you know, more than just their, their highest best team. Like overtime elite is, is probably America's closest thing to the way soccer looks in Europe for the younger folks. Um, so that that's really cool. And that has a lot of different web and user experiences, like from buying tickets to games to looking up players and their stats. So all these different verticals I kind of like work on or help lead the team who does work on them. And then finally, you know, my favorite, but don't tell everyone else that uh, I work with on stuff is our, our web three arm, which we recently started getting into, which was kind of a natural extension of what overtime does. It wasn't like really like a new arm. That's actually, I probably described it wrong. It's for us, like, you know, the, the web three is like the future engagement platform for how we talk to our fans and interact with our fans. So we sort of started, you know, getting into that, not necessarily everyone who follows overtime is going to have, uh, even going to own cryptocurrency, let alone having a specific wallet, um, for, for holding it themselves instead of like a custodial wallet or something. So it's a really interesting puzzle of like how you build something for which audience, because we can't just build, uh, we can't just launch a token and tell 65 million people to get it. So it's, it's sort of a fun challenge for me, figuring out how to appeal to the existing, you know, NFT audience who knows us, but also educating our fans who are like brand new to it. So that was a long list of what I do, but over time does a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, that's cool. I loved hearing about it. Uh, and I think one thing that stands out, stands out about Overtime is, I mean, even before you guys delved into Web3, like you really look at the people that follow you as much more than just followers. And I think the way you kind of like engage with them just lends perfectly into Web3. So it's just that like kind of natural progression. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this actually uh like a day ago like when that big solana project i think it was like the most traded volume a couple days ago okay bears like one thing that 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 okay bears does so well is they really like create this ip or this brand of like being okay like when they mint it out they're like we mint it out we're okay or like you know instead of like wag me it's wagbo like we're all gonna be okay and like really like pushing this idea of okay and um, it reminded me of the 
I mean, the, I was going to say the early days of overtime, but still the current days of overtime where everything is about like the O. So you'd go to basketball games around New York, and when someone scored, they'd put up an O with their hands, like make an O with their hands, or they would wear an O on their chest, or people would hashtag like shout out o- OT. So like, um, you know, since the beginning, this idea of almost like creating a brand that's owned by the people who love that brand. And now we can actually start to find ways to give actual ownership of those things um, mm-hmm. in a meaningful way, instead of just like the more old school version of people buying a hoodie and wearing it on their chest or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I know one project both you and I love is the hundreds as well. And I mean, I was joking about you being the Bobby hundreds of the sporting crypto world, but I think the way they kind of look at their, the people that buy their merch is a lot more than just um, people that buy their merch. Like they go much beyond that. And it almost like it gives people like something to identify with that extends much further than the actual product itself, kind of like tying itself into that culture you were talking about. Um, And I I do want to, a question I had is, what other things do you think are important to think about when releasing a product? I mean, it can be just an app or a Web3 project. Like, what do you think are some of the most important things to think about? I was just talking with um, someone who on my team today about this, who's a really great, uh, another great product builder who works on our app. And we are talking about like the idea of like how your product is discovered used to be something people thought of as like, you know, it was like marketing. You did it second. Like you, you know, you made like the, you made your toothpaste company or your oatmeal company, your cereal company, and then you make it. And then you're like, all right, now how do we market it? Let's go pay an agency. And, you know, you almost invent the brand and the community and the marketing later. And like more and more, all that stuff is happening either through the design of the product or in web three. Now you're even uh, building your community or your people who, who believe in your brand before you even have the product, which is actually sort of over time too. Like we have followers on social before we even have products for those people. Um, so I think like to answer your question, like whenever you're building a product, I mean, in web three, this is so intuitive. So like for this audience, it might even be boring, but it's certainly something true about building an app or we didn't even touch on my like chapstick company. I totally forgot about that. But, or if you're building like a hard product, like you almost want that. What matters more is can, will people discover that product or know about it? Not even how good the product is, although your product also has to be excellent. So I think finding ways like that, the second your product's out, it'll be discovered. Like one thing we do in our app is like, you um you can't just play fantasy you can play you can only play fantasy with a basically like a famous tiktoker uh, so tiktokers like influencers host your fantasy league which is one super fun and two like it's like built in distribution because those tiktokers will naturally share them with share it with their audience um and it lets them sort of like build build their community more sort of using our app as a platform but again, in Web3, this is like day one stuff. Like it's hardly even interesting anymore. Like you yeah. you build your community and you build your mission and you almost write up your blueprint or your roadmap before you even start really working on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
speaking of Web3, how, how did your Web3 journey start? Um, I mean, a, another thing I kind of want to touch on is I, I think when people are in Web3, they just have this naturally curious side to them. And a story I do want to talk about is your story I read up on of your family putting the turkey in the oven and your curious <laughs> side thought, well, why did they do this? And you went on this massive journey to kind of find out how they did. So do you want to maybe touch on that story first and then after that, how you got into the metaverse? Yeah. And do you want to answer like how I personally got into Web3 or more uh, like how Overtime did? How you personally got into it. Okay, so I'll do the turkey story first. I like haven't even told the turkey story. I almost like forget it. I forget why we were even talking about it. I honestly think it's because we were working together around Thanksgiving and somehow everything was related to turkey because only Americans have a holiday that revolves completely around the turkey, which is just totally bonkers. But anyways, okay, so the story was like, um, you know, every Thanksgiving, my grandmother, this is actually also a rhetorical story, but I'll, but like my grandmother would cut off um, the, you know, or my, my aunts and mom and grandmother, everyone would cut off the edges of the turkey. So like before they'd put it in the oven, they'd literally you know, cut off the, the like front and back. So it was like a smaller, more compact turkey and they'd put it in the oven. And, you know, one day me or my sibling or someone, you know, thought to ask like, so why do we do that? And, you know, we trade, I forget the longer version of the story, but basically like no one knew the answer. You take it from, you know, my aunts and mom up to my grandma, to her mom, to her mom. And really what had happened is that my you know, great grandmother or whatever it was lived in such a tiny apartment that the turkey didn't fit in her oven. So she had to cut off the sides just to make the turkey fit. And <laughs> it wasn't actually to make the turkey taste better. It was just like this solution, like a one-off yeah. solution one time to solve a thing that somehow turned into something people were doing, you know, 50 years later. And I think that's certainly something I think about with all product building or company building is, you know, we tend to like come up with a solution for something that works at one point in time. And then the problem is when you hold on to that solution forever and not question, like, does this still solve, solve things for where we are? And I forget actually how we linked it to web three, but I think like there's a lot of things digitally. Like I think about the way I use my, like like apps on my phone like i i literally everything i log into i just like you know i might as well take a picture of my social security and send it to them because the apps ask and know everything about me and we never really stop to think about if that's like the best model um, mm -hmm. and i even remember like early days of facebook like i don't think like it, like facebook and some of those companies were the first people to do that kind of stuff like they were basically just solving a problem for one point in time. Like it was probably how to make enough revenue to raise their next fundraising rounds that they could build actually an interesting feature. And instead we ended up with a, you know, trillion dollar tech world that's based on collecting user data. So there's like all sorts of things I think digitally we've like outgrown that are now time to, you know, question if that's, if that's even like a good way to cook a metaphorical turkey.
<laughs> yeah. One question. Do they still cut the ends off the turkeys? <laughs> no, thank God. We, uh, we don't have that dry ass <laughs> turkey anymore. Now we just have a full turkey. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, now we so need to, how now did your we need to, now we can, we can deep, we're, we're deep frying turkeys these days, you know, and, and whole new ways to cook turkeys instead of just putting them in the oven. Well, leveling up. I, I definitely need to try one of these turkeys someday. Uh, how did your Web3 journey start? <laughs> yeah, so I forgot to answer that question. Um, mm. A lot of people, I think, who like sports, their journey, they say, started with NBA Top Shot, which is sort of true for me, but actually not that true because i never was that into top shot i i think i bought one card but people at overtime were so into it i almost felt like i couldn't keep up um and it was just like it was so driven almost by sports fandom not actually by some of the more like philosophical and interesting community elements of web3 so it sort of piqued my interest but was never that into it i think what really got me into it is there was a there's another guy i know who runs a sports app and we were just comparing notes about app stuff. And he was like, dude, you know, I had the funniest weekend. I bought this like ape with a dress on it. And it like cost me like a hundred bucks or whatever. But basically he'd minted like one of the first bored apes. And he's like yeah. telling me how mad his girlfriend was at him. Like, because he like stayed up till 3 a.m. And had like bought like three of these things. And one of them had like a dress and like, it was like, I just thought it was so funny, but I really thought he was a smart guy. And I was kind of curious why he did that. And at the time he'd already made like 50 grand, which I just thought was like insane. And, you know, of course, jokes on me is way more than that in the long run. But I just remembered that being so cool. And the, um, the interesting part of it, and it always has been, was like this idea of like online community and almost like shared memes or shared stories. And it was like something about the art of those apes was so like easy for all of us to almost like all, I don't know, laugh about or feel like related to, or, you know, and that was actually pretty clear right off the bat to me. I was like, Oh, this isn't just like a silly, stupid thing. It's like somehow meaningful shared experience that has a little bit of humor in it, but is also like, you know, people are really actually making friends over these things. Like, and that, that kind of just like set me down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's kind of the thing that stood out to me the most when I first jumped into the space is how friendly everyone was. It was just almost like so refreshing from the current state of social media. Uh, like if you look at like Instagram or Facebook comments now, a lot of them, tend to be negative but the thing that kind of hit me in the face straight away was how positive everyone was in the web3 space um what else kind of stood out to you when you first jumped in uh there like humor is a good one there was a like a, the early days had a lot of humor and just like crazy shit mm. um it was so internet-y it still is but like I can barely even remember the early projects, but I remember you like minted crypto dads or whatever. Like it was almost <laughs> the time it was almost like, uh, like wall street bets just kept going like that, like GameStop to the moon, almost like 
cheering for something as a group just for the sake of cheering for it and the more absurd it was the better um and that like makes people think it's stupid when it's actually one of the more like meaningful things humans could do together and yeah that that just fired me up so hard is that like shared meme or shared humor uh, and then that obviously evolves to like interesting things like nftfcu is one of the first projects i like got really into and got excited about like the early like you talked about the hundreds and the atom bomb squad and starting to like tie um you know less deep internet culture stuff in so that like the average person could more easily grasp what was going on and that was like while still keeping a lot of the like important parts like i don't I actually don't think things should be like too easy to understand. Like, I think there's actually something fun and that protects the culture about it being something you have to learn. Like, it's like same as overtime. Like you might watch some overtime content, but like you don't know to throw up the O after you score a point until you've like sort of soaked it in. And I think there's like something nice about sort of it being a little exclusive, a little bit like you have to learn, but not so impossible to like unwind that even if you committed you know weeks of research that you still couldn't figure it out which the early days sometimes felt like that like it was like no matter how much you like tried to dive in it was like no one seemed to be able to understand these things in plain language and i feel like that's shifted without losing too much of the culture yeah, it's interesting you say that and and you talk about the early days and I saw a tweet you did yesterday and something I think about a lot is kind of how the space has changed. And I mean, we talk about Web3 advancing so quickly, like two weeks can feel like three months. So how, how do you kind of think the space has changed and why do you think it's changing? It's a good question. I mean, it changes like every single week. Like I, I saw, I saw a tweet, speaking of tweets where I forget what someone said, but it was basically like, if you, if you claim to know exactly what's going to happen six months from now, like the only thing I know is that you're wrong. Like, it's just like, and six months is even like every week, I think I like have a grasp and then there's like a new type of utility or like, I don't know. So that question's almost too hard to answer because I couldn't summarize it. Like each week I just have like a new thing I've learned or new something. Um, Maybe if I had to answer, I think projects that like, I don't know, maybe just like even more intention around the community building in a way that's like things some like, Maybe it's just because I'm used to it, but Discord actually somehow feels less chaotic these days. Uh, like it still can be so chaotic, but like there's such a blueprint for like, especially for like really great community leads and mods for how to communicate what the project's about and set a tone and set a vibe and like for people to come together and every day new people are joining new communities. And I feel like when I first started, I'd like, want to get into a certain project and as sort of like i was never a core deep like web3 expert and i I could spend three days with a community and still feel like totally lost um Mm -hmm. and now i spend three days and i feel like a little bit 
more welcome or more like I understand what's happening, um, which is cool. Yeah, that's good. What, why do you think NFTs are so important? Like where do they fit in the current state of, of what Web2 is? Um, and what do you kind of, where do you see this going and how they can benefit just the average person? I think, I mean, there's a bunch of like value points. One of the biggest, it's kind of a more boring one, but it's something I notice uh, a lot as overtime, which is a very centralized entity trying to operate in a more decentralized world is all the current legal structures for building digital products require you to know who your user is. So like all of talks with my legal team where they're like, uh, like, do you have a list of emails of X? And I'm like, no, I absolutely don't know. You know, I don't even know if like there's humans on the other end. Like it could be like a bunch of frogs in outer space. Like I have no clue um, anything other than there's, you know, a set of keys on a chain with a bunch of tokens associated with that set of keys. And like, I think that uh, just moving a model to be more private and things to not require centralization of information to still create things like communities or games or, or, you know, experiences like games, like whatever, um, that is really powerful for society. I think the other thing is, um, the other biggest thing, and this is really big for overtime is like letting your users be financial stakeholders in what you're building. So like there are so many high school, college, whatever, young people who wear the overtime O on their shirt but they don't have the same financial upside as someone who makes their profile picture an ape. Like the more the ape, the board ape IP goes up, the more they profit, the more everyone profits. Like over time, you know, I don't want to say like nobody profits, but it's definitely not the same. And tokenizing stuff is really cool. And then I think like one, one kind of like build off of that is like, I've spent a lot of time in, you know, in Silicon Valley, I literally used to live there. I worked for Facebook, you know, I've started companies, tried to fundraise from traditional investors. Overtime has a number of very traditional Silicon Valley investors. Like I think democratizing that, especially kind of like early stage angel investing is really cool. Like my fiance and I invested in a tequila company the other day. And it's like everywhere that we go to, we bring this tequila and we're like, it's the best fucking tequila ever made. You know? And it's like, that's sort of like what being a token holder of an NFT product, like the NFT is like that tequila bottle, you know, it's like the IP. It's like everywhere I go, I promote the projects that I like. And I mean, honestly, sometimes I even talk about projects I don't like, but that's, or that I don't hold, um, which is just good brand. So I think that the ability to like, offer users a thing that they now are like a part of and they're essentially like an angel investor uh so if you can like combine the like angel investor and user all in one big like single thing like i think that's really cool um yeah there's even more i mean the ability for something to be bought and resold and still attributed to the original person who created that thing you can't do in, in the real world. And that's so important for artists. Like, you know, I haven't even like gotten into like answering that, but that if anything might be the biggest impact and 
you know, I love music and I like art. And so I think that is really cool too. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one in terms of like the transparency of the blockchain. And it's like a trade-off because you, you hear about scams all the time, but then one of the so-called benefits of the blockchain is is how transparent it is. But I think the scams don't really have anything to do with verifying an NFT or a physical item of clothing like that's still there. The scams are just other projects and people trying to make their short-term gains. Um, but I mean, another thing I think about, and it, I listened to a podcast yesterday um, on NFT now, and it was the not the founder of Time Pieces, uh, but the, basically the guy who was in charge of releasing Time Magazine's NFTs. And he kind of, he talks about the difference between Web 2 and Web 3. And I think Web 2 is very much, like you said, centralized, and it's a brand or a product going to influencers to release their content or publicize their content. And they're kind of making all the money from the customers or the consumers. Whereas Web3, it's almost the other way around where the community itself is going to these influencers, creators, in our case, football players in their early days, and they're kind of empowering them in their early days. And it's more decentralized in the fact that everyone's winning. So the brand is still winning. The community itself get all these access and benefits and even sometimes financial gains that they would have never seen in web two. Um, and then the creator itself, like it's almost like you're crowdfunding for all these creators um, and people that are in their early stages. Yeah. You, you had a really good like kind of description or picture of this the other day to me where you were like, remember the, remember the early days of Waze, like the Waze app where you got like, I think you almost got like tokens. You got like positive karma for like reporting police on the road. And it was like, if that, like that was literally making Waze better. And by the way, Waze sold to to Google for $1.3 billion. Like if Mm -hmm. everyone who had ever reported police and like contributed a small amount to their machine learning or their tech, like actually owned some shares the way that their employees owned shares when they got sold to Google for $1.3 billion. There would have been a lot of people who felt like that was like especially worth their time. And it probably would have gotten them the tech or the machine learning or the inputs even better than they did. Um, and like, I think about that all like an example I think about for us is like, we have a fantasy app with news and we set different lineups and, you know, we, curate the game every day who you can pick and how and how much they cost and all these things and i'm like we've forever let our super users suggest things and we talk to them Mm -hmm. and you know i have discord threads and instagram threads and every type of messenger with our super users who tell us what they think and you know that's basically just decentralized governance and like Mm -hmm. but without the actual decentralization like they send it to us and we make the final call but i think the more the world moves towards like those super users actually almost like being on our team uh, and actually having like the same amount of not same, but like having shared uh, like financial compensation to some of the core team making those decisions. It almost blows up the idea of what a company is like who, who works on the overtime app? Do the users work on it? Do I work on it? Do the people on my team work on it? Kind of all of us. And like, 
people work on it in varying degrees. And like, then I start getting in the world of like, what does work look like? Do people have one job or do some people have 20 jobs with different amount of like tokens for what they do for each job? And like that, I don't, I don't know if it's better, but it's certainly like better for day-to-day work. I mean, I think it's better for privacy and a bunch of things. Maybe it's better for people to be able to make money with more freedom, but it's definitely interesting, even if it's like a neutral, like day-to-day work experience. It's sort of like the gig economy, but like even more flexibility and like, I don't know. Then you start getting into like, you can make passive income. Like if you drive for Uber, you still have to get in your car and drive for Uber. But Mm. you know, what if you could like part-time work for Uber to like increase your Uber token or something? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. You mentioned that way thing. That's something I think about a lot and it's just that whole idea of participate to earn. Um, and another one, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Steppen, uh, S-T-E-P-N. And it's, yeah. best, it, it's for the listeners that might not know it, it's basically this, you can almost think about it like Nike Run Club, where whenever you go on your walk or your run, you log on to this app uh, and you start your run. And it basically it calculates how far you go uh, using GPS and for using their app, and actually going for a walk or going for a run, you can actually earn tokens or points that can actually be traded out for any other cryptocurrency. So they're basically paying you to use their app and they've blown up so quickly. I mean, I I, I was trying to get on it the other day and they've actually had to limit the amount of users that are going onto the platform uh, by only allowing 1,000 new customers a day. And I just think that whole idea like traditionally in web two if they wanted to start that app they would create the app get a bunch of funding create the app and then they would have to go to all these different influencers and try and market the product to get the users to sign up to their platform but now they can they've got their own token and they're they're pretty much paying people to use the app in the early days through their token and then obviously once that app becomes big and, and it already has, they've onboarded all these people onto their platform that then have shared ownership of that platform. And I think that's, it's something I try and think about a lot. Um, and it, it's what we kind of want to do with NFTFC, but that to me, like not many people in web three have started to think about that yet. And I think that's going to be a big kind of direction to go in the future. I think, I mean, there's even, I think there's room for overtimes like, app where you tip on all the games to do something similar where you have a token like you start off with that utility token it's almost like loyalty points and then you have that option to trade it in for governance tokens um the more people use the platform and the more utility tokens they have they can just trade it for shared ownership of the platform yeah definitely i mean i think that community owned platforms like a community owned daily fantasy game or community owned uh like navigation app or whatever eventually i just don't see how a centralized version of that could compete yeah. um at least if you had a web 2 version starting against a web 3 version on the same day uh you know things that already exist have have a lot of like moats and barriers and things that you know can 
can compete, but like community ownership is at, at minimum on the growth front, like so powerful, let alone like retention, because you really feel like the thing is yours, you know? And that's why like going back to the Bobby hundreds, like the hundred streetwear brand, like people have felt like that's their brand forever because it's not about the t-shirt or looking cool. It's about being a part of the hundreds, you know, you're one of the hundreds you're like, and it's like, yeah, why would you ever wear anything else? Like, that's your shit. That's like your, that's like your group. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm really interested to see how it plays out with web two companies trying to transition. Cause I feel like a lot of the traditional giants, like even meta when they announced their kind of metaverse, um, and then it came out a few weeks or a few months later that they were planning to take like a 45% fee on all the creators sales and stuff like that. So I think the hundreds did it well. And I think bracket X, you guys did a really good job as well of transitioning from, I mean, you guys already had that web three mindset, but I'm really interested to kind of see how these web three projects kind of fare against the traditional web two companies like Facebook and meta jumping in. Cause I feel like a lot of them joining the space comes from a place of they don't want to miss out, but they still want that kind of centralized way of thinking. And, and why would they want to jump into the web three space and have it decentralized when they're making all this money? Um, I could flip that on the other side too. One thing I'm excited about is seeing the web three companies actually start to build community owned platforms because you have certain NFT company or web three projects, NFT projects that are so incredibly good at building community and brand and shared identity. Um, Like it's like crazy how good they are at it and even like making group decisions they don't actually have a platform they've shipped. Like they might have actually the token, but they don't even have the platform you use the token to make better or get rewarded for making better. And I think like transitioning to using their community to like start to build these things and take down, you know, these big behemoths is going to be cool. And I, I don't personally think all of them will navigate that transition well, but it's sort of like, in a way, I hope they do because the hard part is the community building. So, I mean, product building is pretty hard too, but like, you know, getting people to believe in in your thing and then be a part of your team is ultimately way harder. So it's like, on you have both sides converging and trying to like figure out almost like a middle, like what that's going to look like. Um, that's a super scaled version of of like Web3. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think a a thing to get excited about as a customer or a consumer jumping into the Web3 space is it's really just based around actually benefiting the community members first. And I think the projects that don't have that at the forefront of their mind will struggle with that transition or struggle to build the projects. So, I mean, if you look beyond all the scams that you tend to see in the media that just will put that above everything, when you actually look into the benefits it can provide you as an individual, I think that's definitely something to get excited about. Um, I do want to transition to Bracket X and how that, how your project came about. Like, what did that discussion look like with Dan? Uh, I think I heard the story about this on the Twitter space, but I'd love to kind of know more about that. Yeah, I mean, Bracket X basically started. Um, like all good things, just 
on a walk in the park. So like Dan and I, were, it was like literally like a few days after Christmas or New Year's or something. And I had like just flown back to New York and like I was doing my like start of the year brainstorm with Dan, who as a reminder is our founder of Overtime. And we weren't even talking about Web3. We had been earlier and like what, I don't know. He had just bought some some crazy and big NFT that had crashed and I was making fun of him for losing money or something like that. But, you know, we transitioned to just talking about sports and we were talking about March Madness, which is in, you know, if you, if you aren't from the States, it's a really big college basketball tournament that even if you don't like college basketball, people participate in because the structure of the tournament is so chaotic and like fun like you have really low bad teams beating big teams and the big teams going home crying and everyone loves to cheer for the upsets. And like, it's just a really interesting sort of like tournament and there's a game around it where you fill out a bracket. And I, like, I can't emphasize how fun playing it is. You really don't need to know anything about basketball and you like enjoy it. And it's really big here in the States. So we we're talking about March madness and just like game ideas, like, you know, could you ever make March Madness even more fun? And somehow we came up with this concept of like uh, the one problem with with the March Madness tournament. Or I guess I sh- so March Madness is trademarked actually. So th- I'm not talking about March Madness. So pr- pretend I'm just talking about the the college basketball tournament. Um, I probably shouldn't use the trademark term, but the um, the problem with the tournament is. You, you have all your teams and after the first day of games, half of them are out and half of them are still in. And if you made the wrong picks, which, you know, over 50% of people did 60, 70%, you're basically screwed. You have no more chance to win. So it's like super exciting for one day and the week leading up. And then it's basically like over because most people can't win anymore. We're like, what if at that point you could actually go buy a bracket? Like if you had a good bracket, you could sell it to someone who is out or if you had a bad bracket, you could go buy a good bracket. And it just like clicked that if we made every bracket an NFT, you know, we could basically just create this game that was like the stock market of brackets. Like, you know, as as the tournament went on, certain brackets would skyrocket. There would be all sorts of speculation around uh, around those. People could, instead of having one bracket, you could buy 10 and sort of hedge your, you know, have have a portfolio of like one team balanced on another team. And there's all sorts of calculations. We had this like idea and just thought it basically sounded cool. And then basically just started working on it. And the rest of Bracket X formed around that idea. Bracket X is more than just the one tournament. I mean, the, that college tournament has been over for over a month now. Uh, we yeah. now, Bracket X is a uh, pro basketball game. So basically what, what we ended up launching was a, like a Genesis pass or an access pass. Anyways, we launched this pass that got you access to the first game as well as a slate of other games in the future. We essentially airdropped everyone a bracket with their teams. We've now done that for multiple tournaments and we'll do that for multiple sports. You know, we're looking at the World Cup in fall. We might do golf or tennis or go beyond basketball, go into soccer, go into other things. Um, so we've created essentially this like sports gaming platform that's these periodic tournaments, you know, with big prize pools. We do a mint each time. We take 70% or more of the of the proceeds and put it into a big prize pool. That prize pool grows, you know, with each transaction of buying and selling these brackets. We've taken this model and we're basically just building really fun sports gaming where you're like 
your actual entry or your picks are represented by an NFT. So we can play with these secondary market dynamics. And our long-term goal with the project is to move out of these periodic contests to actually like daily or weekly or really consistent games that, you know, generates regular recurring revenue, which we can then put in the treasury. The, the pass holders can vote on what we do with it, or we can just give a cut or a dividend to holders, whatever like the future looks like. I think, you know, we started with this like insanely fun game, built it in such a way it could be flexible and applied to any sport and basically just want to like kind of own that like sports gaming, like like it's on Solana right now. I think that's a great fit, but really own sports gaming on chain. And the last thing is um, I think experimentation is kind of at the heart of Bracket X. Like there's so much, there's already pretty fun sports gaming in web too. Like we talked about what it's missing, but there's actually like more than just community ownership. You can just bend the rules with, with NFT gaming because the NFTs let you do things like, like buying and selling, you know, taking a cut, pay, putting it in different places. So I think each thing we do, whether it's a regular daily game or periodic contest, I think everything will just, we'll just try crazy shit. And like, not only do we want to build this regular platform, but I think we sort of want to be on the forefront of sports gaming. Like, I don't think we ever want to just like build it and get complacent. So our holders are a big part of that too. Like we're, we're always kind of hammering that, like, we meet every Wednesday at 12 and just have like a group brainstorm. Like it gets really weird. Um, people suggest <laughs> God awful ideas. Usually that's me suggesting the bad ideas, but the whole point is like to just have ideas, like to do new things yeah. and not just like build a game and call it a day. Yeah. Uh uh bracket X for me is a project I really love and I didn't kind of realize how much, I would actually like it. So when I got that NBA kind of playoffs bracket and I'm not going to lie, the first one I got was pretty awful. So I decided to actually go on to the secondary market and buy a better one. And it's crazy. Like, I mean, I've always liked watching the basketball playoffs, but now that I've got that bracket, it, it's something I do religiously from day to day. I go downstairs, chuck on ESPN and I'm actually watching the playoffs and and genuinely interested in in how the games go because of the bracket that I've got, um, and I think my bracket's a good one, by the way. So you have a really good one. Like you might even want to sell it. Like you could you could probably get some gains even before the tournament ends. But yeah, I mean that's the best part is bracket. I don't know the exact number, but I'm gonna say fifty percent or more of bracket X holders don't actually like basketball and they definitely don't like college basketball like our first game and a lot of them don't even follow nba pro basketball um a ton of soccer fans football whatever like we've had a lot of requests for cricket like it's just a broad sporting community of basically degens who just want to like mm -hmm. have a really fun time figuring out these secondary market dynamics like it's basically day trading sports and it's like yeah. just super fun and that was like the heart of like that was really the mission was like what's well, just like literally the most fun thing and it's kind of better for me that there's people who don't like basketball who like it because i know building a basketball game for people like basketball is like kind of easy because they're like so nerdy 
about basketball that you just like basketball does all the work, you know, Steph Curry and LeBron James, and they do the work. Like they're just, they're just so fun, but it's better that it's universally enjoyable of a game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think I already know the kind of answer to this question, but what was your decision on launching on Solana and Magic Eden? Like how that was one thing that I struggled with with NFTFC is figuring out which blockchain to actually release on. So what was your thought process behind that? Um, A couple things. I mean, first was the heart of the game was secondary market trading. So it's not even about your first bracket or your first pick or your first thing. It's more about how you evolve from there. And there's people who hold, you know, 20 different brackets throughout the tournament. Like they're constantly going up and down every day with their buy and sell. So off the bat, it could not be something with high gas fees. It just wouldn't, the game wouldn't work. Um, so then you're kind of just looking at the, the low gas options. Um, Solana has really cool communities and actually it's kind of perfect timing because this week I feel like is the first time the NFT communities like feel some FOMO around Solana with this like, okay, bears launch with like D gods and some of these projects are getting like a lot of recognition they deserve, I think. And I'd like spent some time in a few of those communities, not those two specifically, but just, I just thought like Solana had like a fun kind of funny, cool vibe about it. And then the third was, Magic Eden was like literally our contractual partner. They were the dev team. We launched it on Eden Games, which is on their homepage. The whole experience lives there. And we had like a call with them and like we pitched them the idea. And like, I think they like literally before we were even done with the pitch, were like brainstorming crazy things that we could do. Like they were just like the coolest. Like they were like, oh, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? Like, you know, and I don't, I don't even know if we ever talked about like the boring contract stuff we just like basically started brainstorming what was going to be the most fun and so it was easy like they're such a good team and such a good platform so that that was like a great partnership yeah i mean there's nothing like going back and forth with ideas in web3 that's definitely one of the funnest things about it is actually speaking with other people in the space and kind of coming up with these ideas um what, what does the future look like for bracket x uh, I know you touched on the DAO um, and I read in the playbook that there's a DAO component as well, possibly in the future. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, if you go on the Bracketx site, you can read our, our playbook. It's sort of our flavor of a roadmap. Um, so what's next? Like short term is basically building, you know, building a, a new, uh, having a new game or new tournament. I would say like every month or every other month is probably more realistic, like we're looking at um, some stuff around tennis, golf, and soccer, uh, maybe American football, whatever. Um, but from there, I think it's building more regular game experience that you could play daily. So if you don't, I mean, you can you can enter at any point. That's the fun right now. But uh, really building a sports gaming hub. But beyond that, it's like introducing even more utility for holders, like really clearly showing what your ROI of holding your pass is, like in terms of getting entry to games, percentage chance of winning those games, or at least being able to flip your entry to make money. A lot of projects solve that with things like staking or a token, where it's really easy to do a calculation of of what, like if, if you hold the NFT, 
you know, you get X tokens a day. That's such a like base level math kind of like ability. We don't actually really have that right now. So I think we want to get like super clear in a way that investors can like understand the ROI of holding our pass, that mm -hmm. sort of midterm. So it kind of covers short midterm. And then in terms of like a DAO, like really being a part of the Solana community. So we have the BracketX DAO and growth fund now, which is basically just a way that we give whitelists, connect with other projects to our holders. And then we actually hold some Solana projects. Um, like we hold the Generous Robots project and stake that. And basically like ways to grow our treasury so we can like do even more. But it's also a way to just like connect and meet other projects. Then probably the last, uh, well, there's two two more last big pieces. One is like we're in a bunch of partnership talks for like different interesting like metaverse applications. You know, everyone kind of says, oh, we're going to do this thing in the metaverse. But I think for us, it's just like, what is playing this game look like in, in VR? Or like, what are ways we can take it off just like Discord banter? Is there like even more meaningful connection we can create? and working with other like Solana projects to do that. And then the last is like Overtime itself is looking at launching more NFT projects. And we plan to give BracketX pass holders like first looks and first access at that stuff, which if anything, I feel like I should just market the whole project around that. It's basically like a Genesis pass to like other Overtime things. Um, but the gaming piece is so fun. We usually like focus on that. Yeah, that's great. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, I'm very conscious of your time, Jack. Um, for the listeners that want to find you or BracketX uh, on Twitter, what are your handles? Do you know? Yeah. Um, if you want to find BracketX, we're, it's at BracketXNFT on Twitter. You can also find me at OvertimeJackO, and I have it linked in my bio. If you want to follow Overtime, just go to at overtime on basically every platform. It'll be the verified, you know, bigger account, lots of fun sports stuff. And then was there anything else? I mean, if you, if you go to those, you'll be able to find the rest, I would say. Yeah, I'll link them all in the show notes anyway. So anyone that's listening can just go to the show notes and find them all. Um, anyway, we'll wrap it up there. Jack, it was really good to speak to you. It's always fun going back and forth about the metaverse with you. Um, and yeah, I appreciate your time. I know, man. I love talking. I, I like we could go another hour. We didn't even get into soccer and sports, and so maybe we'll have to run it back someday. But yeah, it was it was great talking. Thanks for having me. No worries. Yeah, we'll definitely run it back. <laughs>